Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. I know I did. We, you know, stuffed ourselves. I think I've said this before, but in my house, in the Grippa family, we don't eat until we're full. We eat until we hate ourselves. And so mission accomplished there. That was great. Today, we are wrapping up this series that we've been calling Hit the Reset. And for the month of November, we have been doing one thing, one thing only, taking a look at forgiveness, what, what scripture has to say about forgiveness. And then we're trying to find out how we can practically apply it to our lives so that we can hit the reset on some of our relationships, whether it's with ourselves, other people, or the conversation we're going to have today. So let's kind of kick off. It's got a question for you I want you to be thinking about. Have you ever at any point in your life ever experienced a miracle? <clears throat> like this moment where God just shows up in a, in a powerful way. Churches love to kind of share good miracle stories. They, a lot of times they'll make a video about it. You'll see that in like a lot of the mega churches. They'll make these videos and, and they'll share it during the services or, or you know, maybe before a baptism, whatever the case may be. And these videos, they're exciting and, and they're encouraging like a great example of one of the videos you might see, and I've, I've seen videos just like this, where a member will decide that they're going to start tithing for the very first time in their life. And you've seen this video. You know, they're on the camera and, and they're saying, you know, my wife and I, we just made a decision that we're going to want to be stewards of the Lord's money and we want to give back 10% to kind of building his kingdom. And then they tell a story about how, you know, they wrote their first check and literally the very next day they walked into work and they both got promotions and they both got raises and it's incredible and everybody's excited for them. Everybody's, you know, clapping and, and, you know, the Lord working. But when the applause dies down, there's a problem. And the problem is that you've been faithfully tithing for years and you can barely cover your bills. And you're left wondering, well, where's my miracle, right? Or maybe some of you know folks that have been praying for healing, right? I mean, their spouse is struggling with their health, and it's bad. Doctors are like, this is not a, this is not a good situation. But your, but your friend prayed and prayed and prayed, and they got their church behind them, and they prayed, and miraculously, I mean miraculously, God healed their spouse. But when you prayed for a loved one, they passed away. And you're just left wondering, where's my miracle? Unfortunately, I could go on and on with different examples where God seems to be working and moving in other people's lives, yet when it comes to your life, you're left asking, where are you, God? Like, I know you're there, but where are you? Like, wh like where, where is my miracle? What do you do when you are disappointed in God? Like, he let you down. Maybe it was that baby that you always wanted. And the baby never came. Maybe it was that engagement that you thought was like right around the corner and it still has not come. What do you do when, when you don't even want to articulate this disappointment that you feel because you do love God so much, but you, you know it's there. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. You're disappointed. Maybe you're even angry with God. And listen, it's not that you don't want to trust God. You do. You really want to trust God, but you're just finding it really hard to trust him right now because God could do something, but he's not. And the truth is you're mad. You're angry. So much so, I don't know if this is you, but, but so much so that maybe 
just maybe you are actually contemplating walking away from God forever. Today as we wrap up this series, what I want to do is I want to talk about what it might look like for us to forgive God. Now let me kind of qualify this statement before we go on. Technically speaking, from a theological, scriptural standpoint, we don't forgive God. Um, God is not needing of forgiveness because he never sins. He does, he does no wrong. In Psalm 145, we learn that the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He doesn't break his promises. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't sin, for he cannot sin. He can't even be in the presence of sin, Scripture says. He does no wrong. So to say that we forgive God is slightly inaccurate. But many of us who are angry with God or who are disappointed with God, what we really need to do is we've got to reconcile with God. And this sometimes feels a lot like forgiveness. Many of us need to reconcile with our Heavenly Father because we're holding a grudge. You, 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 you feel like you've been wronged. You feel like God didn't do what God could have done. And you, I would argue, by faith, may need to learn to let something go and may need to learn to trust him again. Today I want to look at a story that we've actually never looked at before in the history of DHC. Um, it's a good story. It's a painful story. And it's about a woman who is struggling with disappointment in God. And we're going to begin at the beginning, uh, 1 Samuel 1.1, just to kind of get some background. There was a certain man whose name was Elkanah. It says that he had two wives. Pull it up for him. He had two wives. One was called Hannah. And the other one was called Penina. So basically, it's kind of like big love, all right, minus the Mormons. And Elkanah had two wives. Now, as Bill Hendrickson will let you know, sometimes sister wives don't get along. That's kind of the case for today's story. Hannah and Penina are sort of like the Hatfields and the McCoys. It is like, it is like oil and water. It's not a good scene, okay? It's not a good home life. And I'm going to show you why it, it got to that in just a second. But before we get there, let's talk about Elkanah. So this is an Old Testament story, hundreds of years before Jesus. And in the Jewish culture at this time, parents would give children names that had meaning. These, these names were important. Uh, for example, Christmas is right around the corner. Um, and I haven't written any messages yet. But I'm sure at some point I'm going to talk about the name Emmanuel. You've heard that name. Okay. Which means God is with us. Now, there's other names like Joshua. It's a very important biblical name which is technically Jesus' real name, Yeshua, Joshua. Joshua means God is deliverance. So I was thinking this week like about these names and what names mean, and I was wondering, well, what does John mean? Like, I don't really know what my name means. And so I Googled it, and I learned that John actually means a toilet <laughs> or a prostitute's client. That is literally a screenshot. Not as majestic as Emmanuel. That's fine. I'm not bad. I, you know, obviously, this is important to my folks when they chose this name for me. But let's talk about Elkanah for a second because his name is important, and it means God will give you a son. So anytime he heard his name, he hears God's going to give you a son. God's going to give you a son. God, you get the picture. And so when he married his first wife, Hannah, he just assumes, all right, well, here we go. God's going to give me a son. Unfortunately, we learn that Hannah couldn't bear children. That's why most theologians believe that he took a second wife, Penina. Let's talk about Hannah's struggle with infertility, because this is a big part of today's story. Whether it's 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, or today, infertility can be a 
soul-crushing experience for a woman. It was particularly difficult for Hannah because at this time and in her culture, they would have actively made her feel as though she were a failure. Um, she would have uh, experienced shame back then, and, and she would have been made to feel useless. And it would have been very, very easy for her to sort of ask the question, God, where are you? You are the author of life. Why don't you let me give life? Why don't you uh, let me bear a child? Story goes on. It says, year after year, this man, that's the husband, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Now, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. So I was researching this. We don't know how many daughters she has. But according to rabbinic tradition, meaning the rabbis have passed this down generation after generation, according to them, she had 10 sons. So she's like fertile myrtle over here, okay? None of you ladies who struggled to get pregnant, you all had that one friend who just looked at her husband and got pregnant. Okay, that's, that is what Panina is doing over here. But to Hannah, it says, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. That's a tough fa family dynamic. Hannah was his first love. He knows how discouraged she is, and, and he tries to make up for it by giving her more. Now watch how things go off the rails. Verse 6, so Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Other translations say that she would provoke her in order to irritate her. Now what comes next is so painful. Year after year, it was the same. For some of you, these words might trigger you. Year after year, things never changed for Hannah. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. To use a term we're more familiar with, Hannah had a breakdown. Now, I wasn't at your Thanksgiving. I have no knowledge of anything that transpired. I wrote this message before the holidays, but maybe someone here today or watching online or listening in the future, maybe you had a breakdown at Thanksgiving. Maybe you got to a place where it was just all too much and you had to get up and excuse yourself from the table. See, the problem with holidays is that they're often the hardest when you're struggling. Because you kind of look around at this table and you look at what everybody has and you might not have what they have and, and it's just, and it's, it's, it's hard. And maybe like Hannah, you might be struggling to get pregnant right now. And Christmas is coming and, and you know, you've got to buy gifts for your nieces and your nephews and you love them. And you love buying them gifts, but at the same time, it's just so painful because you want your own. And listen, you're not mad at the people that have what you don't. You're really not, but like there's, there's this weird tension that exists inside of you. So let's talk about that tension with Hannah and Penina. You got Hannah, who is this sweet, godly woman. And then you've got Penina, who's just like the worst, okay? She's mean. She probably has bad hair. I don't really know. But like Hannah is the total package, loves God, loves others. And, you, and I can only imagine what her mindset must be. I mean, she's got to be thinking, why in the world would God bless Penina with kids and not me? I've been faithful. I mean, I saved myself for marriage. I, I, I read the Bible. I never miss church. I get there early. 
I volunteer with the children. Okay, I, I donate. I haven't done anything wrong. Meanwhile, there's people out there doing all kinds of wrong things. They're getting pregnant left and right, and I have none. Where are you, God? I don't, I don't, I don't understand. And so Hannah does the same thing that perhaps many of you have done. She prayed. And she believed. And she waited. And then there was nothing. Year after heart-wrenching year, she prayed and she believed and she waited. And nothing ever came. Maybe you can relate to this. You know, maybe in your situation, you're, you know, there's, there's an adult child in your life and you've been praying for them that, that they would come to the Lord. And you've been praying for years. And still nothing has changed. Maybe you prayed for that job and you, and you believe God would answer that. You, you, you prepared for him to answer this blessing in your life and yet this job continues to just be out of reach. Maybe you ask God to take away your anxiety and your depression and your prayers have turned into begging and Lord, please deliver me. And years later, you're still fighting to get through the day and you just can't help but wonder where are you? It's that trial that never seems to go away. It's that marriage that never seems to get better. Where are you, Lord? I've trusted you. I'm trying to believe in you. Do, do, do you hear my prayers? Do you even care? And so you pray, and you believe, and you wait, and another year goes by. If you've ever felt like that, then you know exactly how Hannah feels. Now, what comes next is not exactly what I would call a shining moment for men in the scripture. Um, ladies, it, some of you that are married, you might know this, that occasionally men say dumb things, just occasionally. It's like we can't really help ourselves. So I was thinking about this. For example, whenever my wife drops something, which is pretty frequent, actually, but whenever she drops something or breaks something, I always ask, without fail, how'd that happen? <laughs> it's like I can't help myself. I, I may ask first, oh, gosh, are you okay? And then I follow it up by saying, now, how did that happen? Okay, it drives her crazy. She literally cannot stand it. But on the very rare occasion that I mess up, she loves to sarcastically ask this question to me. I got a buddy, he shall remain nameless, who stupidly asks his wife, how's your mood? How do you think that was received? My mood? Not good. <laughs> it was fine before you asked me. Now it's not good at all. Well, Elkanah, our main man, seeing his poor wife in shambles, would say to her, and which leads me to believe he would say this frequently, okay, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Buckle up. Here it comes. You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> this poor woman. <laughs> She's doing everything she can to trust God. She's got penina busting her chops. She's got this dope behuzzin. It's just, it's all too much. It's too much. What do you do when you get to a place where you are officially disappointed in God? Well, let me show you what she did because you might find this beneficial. It says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. From the depths of her broken heart, Hannah unloaded on God. When she prayed, she didn't hold back. She poured out 
all of her emotions before the Lord. She took all the pain, all the hurt, all the discouragement, all the disappointment, all the anguish, all the agony, and she just hurled it at the Lord. Now you may be wondering, can we do that? Are we, are we allowed to like actually speak that openly to God? Yes. In fact, there are many examples all over Scripture of godly people just unburdening themselves to the Lord. King David, who was called a man after God's own heart, said this to him, Oh Lord, how long will you forget about me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? The great prophet Jeremiah really gave it to God. He said, Oh Lord, you have lied to me. Whoa. And I was fooled. You are stronger than I and have a power over me. I've been laughed at all day and everyone makes fun of me. Now, we don't have time to unpack this today, but let me assure you God did not and cannot lie. What's going on here is that Jeremiah is crying out in the middle of the story that God is writing for his life. The whole story has not been written yet, which, by the way, neither is yours. Even Jesus Christ cried out to the Lord on the cross with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lamach sabachthani, that is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Here's why this is so important for us. God does not want you to sugarcoat your situation. And at times, I think we believe that, that God can't handle the weight of our situation or the weight of our emotions. However, in our greatest season of despair, God desires us to draw close to him. God can handle Every burden you have, every uncertainty, every fear, God loves you and understands your pain. And I believe with all of my heart, he welcomes your questions. He is big enough to handle your doubts. In fact, I would argue that God would rather have you yell at him in disappointment and anger and fear than to see you walk away in defeat and hurt. Take your pain to God. That's what Hannah did. Now, in the midst of this painful prayer, she makes a vow to God. She says, O oh Lord of heaven, if you will look down upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you, and he'll be yours for his entire lifetime. Now, what I haven't told you because I skipped these verses is that off to the side while all this is going on is a priest named Eli, and he's watching this transpire. Scripture says that he actually thought Hannah was, was drunk. I mean, because she was just, it was just such a mess. And so he goes over to her and he, and, he, and he speaks with her and he realizes, no, she's not drunk. This is a woman who is just tremendously hurt. She's very sincere in her heart. And he says one thing to her. He says, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. The heavens don't open up. There's no immediate change. Her belly doesn't swell. Hannah just walks away. She's still got to deal with Penina. She's still got to deal with her husband who says dumb stuff. And she still has no baby. So what's she going to do? Well, she does the very same thing that you might do when you're disappointed with God. She continues by faith, even though she doesn't feel like it, to hold on to God and to believe that God is still good. I love this next line. 19, it says, the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. 
I just find this so incredibly powerful. She woke up still seeing nothing. And she went to worship her God once more. Folks, this is a picture of faith. And I know we love those mountaintop moments. I know we love those miracle stories. But this is the kind of story that should encourage you. Because every single one of us, I'm telling you, at some point in your life, you're going to have a Hannah moment where you don't understand what's happening to you. And you find yourself crying out to the Lord, telling him this is unfair, but rather than letting an absence of an answer drive you away from God, we by faith worship God once again. We hold on to God, even when we don't understand, even when we're tempted to let go. There's one lesson that Jesus teaches over and over and over again, and that's the importance of persistent prayer. He teaches us that when it comes to our prayer life, that we should ask and seek and knock. And ask and seek and knock. And ask and seek and knock. Not because God wants to hear us beg. Rather, it's because the heart of God is moved by persistent, consistent prayer. Prayer that hangs on even when everything around you is telling you to let go. Now, according to rabbinic tradition, Hannah prayed for nine years to have a child and finally God answered her prayers so in the course of time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel saying because I asked the Lord for him God gave Hannah the desire of her heart and this may happen to you and it may not but what Hannah learned that day is that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Just because you don't see it in a moment doesn't mean you're not going to see it in a lifetime. Now, I don't know your situation, but Scripture says that if you love Jesus Christ, that God has promised you something, that he will work all things together for your good. Now, that does not mean that you're going to get every single thing that you ask for. But it is a promise that the God of this universe, your Heavenly Father, and your Creator is working on your behalf and knows what's best for you. So don't give up. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep trusting. And keep worshiping. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? It's your first time here. Every single week at DHC, we throw this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So this week, I want you to be thinking about that, that one thing that, that you've been praying for. What is that one thing that you are so concerned about, so burdened over, that you just can't stop thinking about it? Is it that wayward child that we're talking about? Maybe it's a marriage on the rocks. A job concern, a health concern. Okay. What is that one thing that you are so passionate about that you can't help but knock on the doors of heaven every day and every night? Lord, answer me. Lord, answer me. Lord, if you don't do something, it's not going to happen. If there's one thing I pull from Hannah's incredible story, it's this. When you pray, do not give up. And just because God seems silent, you keep asking. And just because you haven't received an answer yet, you keep seeking. And just because your situation has not changed yet, you keep knocking.
because you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. God might actually have you in a waiting season for a reason. You have no idea what he's doing in you. You have no idea what he's doing through you. And right now, in this very moment, he could be orchestrating everything around you to give you your heart's desire. And he's just preparing you for that. Let's go back to where we already started. If you are someone here today who is disappointed with God, because God hasn't moved in your life in a way that you thought he should, just remember, our faith isn't based on a desired outcome. Our faith is based on the goodness of God. Our faith is rooted in Jesus Christ. It is not based on our circumstances. Uh, there's an incredible passage found in the Old Testament. In Habakkuk 3.17, it says this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. I don't know what your situation might be today, but if you are disappointed in God, if you're mad at God, I would challenge you to tell him just that. Don't hold back. Let loose. But then I would challenge you to choose to trust him once again. I would challenge you to reconcile with him. You know, it's, it's, it's God, I'm, I'm not going to hold this grudge against you any longer. What I wanted you to do, you didn't do, but I choose by faith to let that go. Though, though you didn't answer the prayer that in the way that I wanted you to, I still choose to trust you. Not because of what I see, but because of who you are. Folks, Scripture is clear. God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is still there with you, working on your behalf. Choose by faith to let him back into your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, to be honest with you, Lord, there's nothing more painful as a Christian to cry out to you and for it to seem like you're not there for it to seem like our prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, God. And some of us, Lord, in this room have been praying for a long, long time for you to move in our lives. I pray, Lord, today that if it be your will, that you would move. That perhaps today might be the day where you grant us the desire of our hearts. But God, if it is not your will, I pray that we can still choose to trust you. That we can still choose to worship you. That we can still choose to pray anyway. Because you are good. Because you loved us so much that you sent your son into this world to die on our behalf. We love you, God. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.